Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's not very often that we do emergency podcasts, but given the news that's transpired in the last couple of hours, thought it would be a misnomer to miss out on discussing the new proposals for the European Super League based on the judgments that have been passed down and ultimately our major problems with them. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. You put up the bat signal and look who answered. Yeah, okay? exactly. Incredible. I was like, someone needs to talk about serious bits in football. I wonder what Sam's about. So. No, that's not how it went. He tried four other people first, I'm sure of it. Um, no, I actually don't enjoy talking about the European Super League. None of us do. But, you know, I checked my phone earlier and it was all hell was breaking loose, just like last time. And as much as we don't like it, or don't like to talk about it and the serious business in football because it really does open the book, doesn't it, on like the really bad bits of the sport that we enjoy. It makes us think about them and sometimes we try to hide from them. But every now and then you just got to eyes closed, head first. Let's talk about it because it's reared its head again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I think what's what we can discuss here is a, a couple of segments. So we'll talk about the ruling. There's been some sort of contrasting views on actually what it means and we can discuss those a little bit. And then we'll talk about the new proposed format that's been released this morning and and the issues that still revolve around that and why it's not potentially as perfect as the two-minute video suggests it to be. So we'll get into everything in turn, but let's start with the basic news on this. And the news is that the rules that have blocked the potential European Super League by FIFA and UEFA have been ruled to be unlawful by the European Court of Justice. Now, this has been 
a ruling long in the waiting from everyone. It's worth pointing out that both sides have claimed this as a win. And whilst this does favour on paper the Super League, it's not as clear cut as that. So basically, after the original 12 clubs, 16, that became 16 clubs, launched this competition to rival the Champions League, that was back in April 2021, it collapsed after fans kicked off against it and UEFA basically threatened everybody with incredibly heavy sanctions. And last December, it was ruled that UEFA had been lawful with those sanctions. But today, it's been ruled that UEFA and FIFA are abusing a dominant position in breach of competition law. And it basically says the FIFA and UEFA rules make any new interclub football project subject to their prior approval, such as the Super League, and prohibits clubs and players from playing in those competitions. And that's unlawful. So it will embolden, Sam, those who are committed to the Super League project, which at this point really kind of just feels like Real Madrid and Barcelona. And Juventus. Well, even Juventus pulled away (laughs) after they were hit with those sanctions that didn't allow them to be in the Champions League or the Conference League this year. Even they pulled back a little bit. So it will embolden. There will be other owners who I'm sure will jump back on the bandwagon and be like, okay, we we thought it was illegal. Turns out it's not. We're back. The company running it is called A22. And their chief executive, Bernd Reichardt, said, "We've won the we've won the right to compete. UEFA's monopoly is over. Football is free now. The clubs will not suffer threats and punishments. They are free to decide their own future." Yeah. On paper, it looks like a win for the Super League. It does. I mean, yeah. So to just to, to dig in a little bit further, there ultimately, the law somehow stated that for anyone to launch a breakaway league and rip away from UEFA and FIFA they would have to go to UEFA and FIFA and ask for permission. Yeah. I mean, Which, that, that I is mean, wrong, fundamentally. You know, that is, And that's not good. I mean, the answer is clearly no and will always be no. And that is the dominant position that they were, you know, ruled to be abusing. And and that's fair. Like, that is that is not democracy. That is not fair. That is not anything, right? That is, that is, uh, that is uh, an organisation or two completely and utterly controlling the sport and preventing anyone from doing anything about it. So in a sense... Yes, the new breakaway league has won the right to compete, but you've still got so many more hurdles to jump over. You've still got like the German clubs who saw this as the antithesis of football in the first place and very likely will not change their stance. There have been some murmurs earlier today. I don't know how far it's got that the, you know, the the ministers for sport in England were talking about blocking English clubs from even considering entering this league regardless legally that might be a bit thought police yeah 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 legally that might be a bit sketchy but manchester united have already ruled themselves out of the running yes and they said we're not we're not joining it and there will be other clubs that follow of course from across across europe so just because you've won the right to compete which is technically true it doesn't mean that people are going to come now because over the last 18 months there's been a lot of consternation about this there's been some serious warnings handed out to clubs and individuals, particularly from the English side, but others too. The Germans want literally nothing to do with it. Half the Spaniards want nothing to do with it. The English clubs essentially have been outlawed from doing anything about it. And again, that leaves you with the, the usual. Nasser Al-Khalifi's PSG. But Madrid, probably not Barcelona. considering he's the president of the European Clubs Association. Yes, but like, point. yeah, you're, you're still looking at a dwindling list. 
And it's difficult really to envision this taking off, even though their new format is better, but not perfect. Yeah, I mean, we'll come back to the format and also we'll come back to the clubs ruling themselves out aspect of things in a minute. I thought there were some interesting comments from the UEFA president, Alexander Sheffrin. And I think it's also important to look at this and think there is no necessarily, you know, black and white elements to this. Everything is shades of grey. And just because, you know, personally, and I'm very clear about this, I don't think this Super League proposal is a good thing for football doesn't mean that I think the UEFA are suddenly the good guys in this because there is plenty wrong with the UEFA structuring. There is plenty wrong with the FIFA structuring. There's plenty wrong within the world of football as it exists. But that doesn't mean that all change is good change at the same time. So Severin basically said, I personally see this decision as a chance to improve some of the regulations, but first and crucially, football remains united. He said... The ruling doesn't signify an endorsement or validation of the so-called Super League. It rather underscores a pre-existing shortfall within UEFA's pre-authorization framework. A technical aspect has already been acknowledged and addressed in June 2022. UEFA is confident in the the robustness of its new rules and specifically that they comply with all relevant European laws and regulations. And this is important because basically what's been deemed illegal is actually UEFA's old framework. They've already changed this. It's not the new framework that's about to be challenged. It's the old one that they saw this problem with and went, we need to change that before they come again, because that is going to get ruled out because it's not okay. And as we said at the top, so there's different things. You know, we're seeing reporting The Guardian saying European Super League project gets a huge boost after a court of justice ruling. But equally, there's a really impressive and well thought through piece from Miguel Delaney, old friend of the pod in The Independent. And he basically says, amid the thousands of words in this, the only ones that really matter are whether the project can go ahead. And the answer to that question is still probably no. He's like, it would still have to get permission to set up. It would still have to get permission from all of the clubs. And it would still have to actually work in terms of what it is. The fact that UEFA already changed the rules on pre-authorization of new competitions basically means that this court case is Not irrelevant because there is definitely fallout from it, but it's basically a lot of noise about something that's already been changed and there would have to be a new challenge that comes to that in order for it. So if anyone's sitting here worried about the fact that this is going to come into play immediately, it's going to come into play in the next year, suddenly it's all on, those fears can probably be allayed. There is going to continue to be a discussion around this. It's not going to go away. But we are talking about a point that is now severely in the future because a new legal challenge would already have to be drawn up to try and challenge those rules for authorization before you could even get into the premise being acceptable. Yes, we are presumably a decade away from this at minimum because of just how long these things take and how long legal challenges take and how much bickering and arguing there will be off the back of this and how much agreement there needs to there needs to be uh, between all the clubs on the format on who calls the shots on who's safe who's not like you know it's a multifaceted conversation and when billions and billions and billions of pounds are at stake these things take forever so when the news broke this morning or this afternoon for some people that you know it looked like the ESL had been given a real shot in the arm i think the, the immediate reaction was oh god oh no and i was i was the same 
you continue to look through it a little bit and as the stuff that you've read out there makes it very clear that we're still a long way off anything here but this issue isn't going away and those that are trying to form the new European Super League I mean they're taking challenges to the European Court of Justice they're trying everything they can to try and get this through to get the breakaway running they're listening to people's complaints about the format and they're trying to come up with a new format that fixes that and assuages concerns over those like they are do- they, they are working in the shadows and this will not go away but nothing's going to happen for ages. Yeah, I mean, this is it. Um, Miguel finishes, and we'll finish this segment with, with this quote. He says, the Super League has been gathering more qualified support because it's been playing into fair complaints, absolutely fair complaints. The power in the ch- current Champions League is far too concentrated. Most of the wealth is in a few pockets of Western Europe. Clubs basically now have to be from a big city in a big country to have any chance of continental success. And even that is being threatened by the Premier League's dominance. It's obviously appealing for those outside to break that up even if it would be very misguided to put the power of European football into the hands of the very biggest clubs yeah. as the Super League proposes. And, and it takes us on quite nicely. We'll get to the format in a minute. But the actual new proposal has an immediate issue in that exact wording and that exact kind of idea, because the idea that you're breaking up this power block in the Champions League to hand it to the exact people who are in that power block is incredibly hypocritical. It is, yeah. It, it, this really is the rich, self-serving stuff. You know, it's 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 Juventus, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Co. complaining because they're not in control and trying to force a solution through that puts them in control. It, it's as simple as that. It, the new European Super League would be presided over by Florentino Perez, and Joan Mike, Laporta, yeah. Joan Laporta, all those guys, you know, Agnelli, whoever it is. It will be run by the clubs, the clubs that will end up in that top sixteen. The clubs that will end up untouchable and safe will be the ones running it. It is an incredibly self-serving idea. That is the way football is, of course. We can't really get away from that. And while you're right, UEFA is not perfect and we have our gripes with it. And again, you have to be careful to, to you know, we have to be, we have to take the, the care and, and make sure we say this. Like, because a lot of people say to, to people like us, well, you're, you support Premier League clubs. Of course you don't like this, but actually it's what's been happening in your league. And like to a, to a point, to a degree, some of those criticisms ring true. But people assume that we're okay with everything that's happening with UEFA and how the Premier League's running. We're not. We also think that that's flawed or, uh, or, or problematic. Yeah. I mean, I support Fulham. Like, yeah. we're not in we're not a European competition. Doesn't, doesn't, yeah. It doesn't really affect us. Jack doesn't have a horse in this race. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he really doesn't. He really doesn't, and it, and he's still bothered by it. So a lot of a lot of people from afar assume that English people or Prem faces, as some people call us, you know, we, we, of course we feel threatened by this. This is what the Premier League did to others. Yes and no. Domestic football and international football, European football are different kettles of fish. Domestic football is really, really important to England and the pyramid is very, very important. And while obviously we don't like it when oligarchs come in and, 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 and sweep the league aside, the league aside with oil money, like we, none of us like that apart from some of, the, some of the fans that support that specific club. But the rest of us absolutely hate it and we don't want to see it happen again and we don't want to see that power concentrated with the clubs because while UEFA is flawed and FIFA is flawed, at least it's somewhat detached and somewhat decentralized rather than the president of Real Madrid owns football. Like that's not healthy. No, no, I, I don't think that concentrating the power in the teams that are already at the top of the pyramid makes any sense. 
let's go on to the format because there are question marks about that. And then we'll come on to the clubs who have ruled themselves out because I'd love the Atleti's statement. I thought it was very, very interesting to, to see what they said. Um, but basically, the new format from the ESL was unveiled as soon as this ruling dropped. They were very, very quick on the buttons yeah. to suggest, you're like, we're back, we're happening, it's on. Yeah. And they've presented a revamped structure, which is supposed to, and they mentioned this numerous times, talk about a competitive and dynamic football landscape across Europe based on sporting merit. I don't think they could have said sporting merit any more times in the video. So and, a two-minute video, but they get it in four times or something like that. So it's a pan-European pyramid, three tiers. Star League, which is effectively the Champions League, the Gold League, which would effectively be the Europa League, which would both have 16 clubs in them each. And then the Blue League, which would have 32 clubs, which is effectively the Conference League. And the way that it works is basically the 16 teams in the top two leagues would play in little leagues of eight against each other. And then there would be a knockout round. Yeah. Home and away, se seven games home, seven games away. So 14 total games. The guaranteed 14 games. I wait and I, you know, obviously it's a little bit different if clubs have ruled themselves out. But I'm yet to see a manager who's been complaining about fixture congestion suddenly <laughs> speak about the fact that this is not a thing. Now, obviously, we're talking theoreticals, but it does intrigue me as that. Mm. And basically, two teams would be relegated from the top star league to the gold league every year. The teams that come bottom of each of the two leagues. Yeah, and then the yeah. two finalists from the gold league would be promoted to the top league. There will be two teams relegated from the Gold League to the Blue League and two teams promoted from the Blue League to the Gold League. And only the top 12 in the Blue League would stay in the competition. 20 teams would drop out and those teams that replace them would be the ones that have earned their space through European qualification places in their respective leagues. Now, one, we don't know how that would work in terms of who was given what and which teams were able to qualify if there was a limit on any sort of, you know, if, if there are already, say, six Spanish teams across the league, can then a seventh Spanish team qualify even if they finish first in the division? No real steer on that. There's no real steer on where those teams would be coming from in terms of all of the different national associations. And, and let's be honest, by the way, they don't know either. No, of course There's not. no this way they've thought sense. about this. They don't care. They haven't thought about the Icelandic champions no. being able what to get into to, this What league. happens to Ludogorets? You know, what's their seeding? They don't know. They haven't thought about that. So it basically reduces the number of teams in these competitions. Obviously, right now, we have a Champions League, Europa League and Conference League format. There's already been tidied up. It's already been made smaller. The Europa League used to be absolutely massive before they put the Conference League in. There are clubs from across Europe represented in those competitions with a structure that gives everyone on paper a chance of qualifying if you finish in the right positions or win the right trophies within your domestic setup. That's not been explained. But the problem is that if you have a system like this with 16 clubs in the top league and 16 in the second league, let's just use this year's Champions League as an example, Sam. Mm. And we'll say there's 32 teams in that competition Let's use them as the teams that would make up tiers one and two right now. Now, we don't know how that would pan out in terms of who was where, but let's assume that the teams who were originally the biggest clubs in this are going to put themselves in the Star League because they've come up with the concept, which is basically <laughs> what they did to begin with. Yeah. For example, if Barcelona were in the top league and this season they finished outside of 
the European places, they wouldn't drop out of that Champions League equivalent, the Star League, unless they were relegated to one of the two bottom teams in this 16-club format. Yep. They'd have to finish bottom of a group of eight. They'd have to finish bottom of a group of eight, and then they'd have to finish, you know, the season after, they'd have to finish bottom of another group of eight at a lower tier, and then they'd have to finish outside the top four in the third tier in order for them to drop out of European competition, even if they finished, let's say, sixth in La Liga, even if they dropped out of the competition completely. And you use Union Berlin as an example, and I think it's a fair one. Yeah, Union is an even even more egregious potential example here because they obviously qualified for the Champions League this season off the back of a league placing last season. Now, this season, unfortunately, hasn't gone to plan. They've been terrible. They're down in 15th. They actually won in midweek. Yeah, they're out of the relegation zone. An incredible win, but they've been in the relegation zone for a while. They've been, they've been staring down the barrel basically the entire first half of the season. So you might get to a point there. So let's say that Union Berlin, you know, this competition started this season. Union had qualified and they were in that top 16 teams. And then they went down in the Bundesliga. Okay, fine. They finished bottom of their, their group of eight. So what? They're in the, in the second division of German, German football and they're in the equivalent of the Europa League. Or maybe they finish seventh in their group somehow, scum a few victories, and they stay in the Champions League but get relegated to the second tier of German football. Like what effect does that have on domestic play? What effect does that have on budgets? What does that do to the second division in Germany for a start? I mean, I mean, this is such a mess. And and the thing I can't get my head around here is is how they they don't really do they not think that we can't see through this in terms of it being an obvious safety net of revenue and prestige for the top sixteen teams? Because Jack, if you get picked for those top sixteen spots for the first season. You're basically guaranteed European 13 of them are never, ever, ever, ever dropping out. Ever. They're just never going to drop down because the revenue will be so strong for that stage of the competition. And because as long as they don't finish bottom, then they could stink the place up in the league and finish eighth. And they could just finish seventh in the Champions League in their group and they get another run at it. And they keep saying meritocracy. And yes, promotion and relegation gives you a hint at that. It is, but, look, but the reality this proposal is better than the last one. I, it will, I will give them that, but not by much. <laughs> it's better in that this isn't. it's no longer invite only, which I'm astonished they thought was a good idea. But of course, they think with their bank accounts, right? And that's and, and rich people just want to cement what they are. They want to cement their fortune and, and the top clubs want to stay at the top. They don't like risk. They don't like having to perform to get money. That's... It's it's the very heart of the sport, but they don't like it because really the top clubs just want to be at the top the whole time. So they've introduced promotion relegation. They've introduced a more fluid, you know, three-tiered league concept. I'm not fooled by it. It's the <laughs> ultimate safety net. You would do inc- you, it would be so like you could put me in charge of Man United tomorrow with this format in place, and I would keep us in Europe for five years. Yeah. Like it's such a safety net. It's impossible to go out of Europe if you finish in that top 16. Yeah. You'll never go out. Yeah, it, it, it's wild. And, and kind of to use the inverse of this quickly, Girona, obviously currently top of La Liga as we record this. If Girona were to complete the miracle and win the league this year under this new format, they would effectively enter the Conference League thanks to their efforts. They would go into the bottom tier because the only way you can come out of the top tier, et cetera, is through working your way up the tier system. Yeah. So you could win 
La Liga, which would be the most incredible achievement against the financial power of Real Madrid and Barcelona. And also then the immediate advantages that all of the rest of the top seven, eight have on you in terms of financial capacity, but also the structures that are already there. So the fairy tale would effectively get you to the conference league. And if you finished outside the top 12 of that conference league, you would then immediately drop back out of Europe, as opposed to a team that could finish five, six places below you in the league twice and still end up Hmm. in the top tier of European competition. That is not meritocracy. That is protectionism. And it's, it's wild to me that people are looking and go, oh, yeah, they've sorted it out. Well, it's better, as you said, isn't it? Yes. It is better. Yeah, just. <laughs> the bar was on the floor, but it is better. It's better than an invite-only competition. Yes, yes, I would agree. That. <laughs> so um, what happens when all the German clubs say no? So that's the next question, right? So, so we'll come away from the format. I will just give them one piece of credit before we move on, because I want to be fair and transparent with all of this, is that they have said that the tournament would be free to air and they would put it out to all fans. And that is in itself a good thing. And I think that that is to be commended. It is a little bit bread and circuses. And I will say that just be like, oh, make it free to watch. Everyone's gone, all right, fine, let's do it. (laughs) And I think it's covering up for a lot of the other inadequacies that are below that on the mark. But it is something to be said and commended because it is a good idea. I think it probably just, it shows you where their head's at in terms of the marketing and the market research, because the two things they're really keying in on here are they think that there's not enough free-to-air football in this world, which is true. Mm -hmm. Um, We reluctantly pay exorbitant prices to watch football because that's what we want to do. There are some people, mostly young people, that can't afford to do that. So they're ticking a big box there. They're getting the young people on board because it's free-to-air. And then the other thing they think is they think that people want to see these matchups, you know, Liverpool versus Barcelona every week because the excitement levels around these games when it comes to the Champions League knockouts is so fierce that they think this is the future and no one wants to watch, you know, they they probably pull the example, no one wants to watch Man United Bournemouth. That's a one-sided result. True in Bournemouth's favour, you know, but that's what they think. So they think, oh, people want to see these games. The magic of these games is that they come around infrequently. Yeah. And it's what makes them special occasions. Because you don't get to play Barcelona very often. If it's Christmas fine. was every day, yeah. you'd get bored of Christmas. It is hate Christmas. Yeah. It'd be rubbish. We get sick enough listening to all the Christmas songs only for a month, you know, let alone 365 days. But th- there's beauty in how infrequent these games are. And that's what makes them special. They're really special occasions because you might not play this team again for five, six years. They're trying to make this more regular because they think it's the way forward. And and I I fundamentally disagree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that you've touched on a point there and it's nice to kind of actually move us on with it is that clubs are going to step away from this. And we've already seen both Manchester United and Atletico Madrid step away and say, we don't want any part of this. So there's some interesting things here in that United were the first Premier League club to categorically rule themselves out, which is you know, a good step in the right direction for United who don't seem to get anything right. Um, but it's something that their fans can at least go, well, they got that one right. Um, they've said our position has not changed. We remain fully committed to, to participation in UEFA competitions and to positive cooperation with UEFA, the Premier League and fellow clubs through the European Clubs Association on the continued development of the European game. Atleti went further. They, 
they, they went hard. Atletico said, Atletico de Madrid, after analysing the ruling, ruling of the European Court of Justice, would like to express the following. One, the resolution regarding the framework for prior authorization of other competitions refers to outdated UEFA statutes that were already amended in June 2022. Two, the European Club Association, ECA, and UEFA have established a partnership that renders the consideration of UEFA as a monopoly meaningless. Through agreements within this joint venture, clubs decide 50% on the sale of sponsorship and television rights, revenue distribution, and competition formats. And three, the European football community does not support the European Super League. Germany, France, England, Italy, Spain, except for Real Madrid and Barcelona, etc., oppose the Super League. We advocate for protecting the broader European football family, preserving domestic leagues, and securing qualification for European competitions through on-field performances every season, which is a very important point. Yes. Every season good. you start again. You get your you have to you have to earn it on the pitch. And that's what the La Liga t-shirt said, right? They yeah. said earn it on the pitch. It and did, it was yeah. the big statement that they came out with to basically oppose this. And Atleti have gone hell for leather to back it. But they have. They, they have. say that there or about Germany, right? And Germany's the interesting one because so many of these clubs are 50 plus one owned. I mean, they're all 50 plus one owned, but Leipzig have found a way around. Yeah, two of them aren't. <laughs> so, <laughs> but those clubs are just not going to sanction joining this league. So to your earlier point about teams not playing each other, this is the key element, right? That's not what not not what's going to happen. It's going to end up in a schism. Yeah, if yeah, if it ever happens, it, there's a, there's a schism coming. So just just to touch back on what you were talking about a minute ago, obviously this is a, a fast moving story as we talk about it. It's currently like half three UK time on the Thursday, and we knew that United, we knew that Atletico Madrid had ruled themselves out publicly at the start of when we was, we were talking. In the time since, quite a lot more clubs have ruled themselves <laughs> out. Man City being one of them. Um, Real Sociedad, Villarreal, Valencia and Sevilla. Not that Sevilla are going to be anywhere near this. Bayern and Dortmund. And uh, I'll make my apologies now to, to NASA because PSG and Monaco have both said no. Inter and Roma have both ruled themselves out. And also so have Pescara. And the um, first reply on the tweet that I'm reading said, who invited Pescara? <laughs> <laughs> Shouts out Pescara. This is, the kind of, this is the kind of attitude I want. Random teams who've, you know, Bologna have never qualified for anything that isn't the Intertoto Cup in the last 25 yeah. years. I want Bologna ruling themselves out. Yeah, they are actually currently in a Champions League position. To be steadfastly best against. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, look, plenty more teams have, have come into bat for this, and this is them rejecting the new Super League format. So, already we're at a point where this doesn't work. Um, A22, who are trying to create this, this new breakaway league, have presented this... Uh, presented this format and thought, right, we've got the answers. And everyone within about two hours has gone, you know. But let's let's say, for example, that the German the German clubs held fast, the English clubs held fast, but Real Madrid and Barcelona broke away, and Juventus broke away, and they took a few with them, and they really, really, really hacked at it, and eventually we got to a point where we have two factions. I guess we have the European Super League running. UEFA do not ditch the Champions League or the Europa League or the Conference League. You've got Bayern Munich and Dortmund and Manchester United in one. And then the other, you've got Real Madrid and Barcelona and whoever else might end up following them. This would mean that you would never really get to watch Bayern Munich versus Real Madrid in a competitive game ever again. And that is something to be considered because I think that would be really sad. Like watching these like titanic clubs. And yes, we are talking about the teams here 
who initially tried to leave the top 16, as you would imagine in your head. These are the teams I'm talking about. But if they end up in two different conferences or factions or whatever you want to call it, and they can't play each other, and we never get to watch Bayern Munich play at the Bernabeu on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night ever again, that's really sad. That's something to lament because those are the special games. And as much as I don't want them all to break away, I also don't want them all to sort of go, oh, well, some of us will be over here and some of us will be over there because we'll also lose something from the sport. Yeah, yeah, this is it. And look, we've seen this happen in other sports, right? We've seen what the live golf experiment has ended up with in golf with, you know, half of the world's best players on one side of a divide and half of them on another, not playing each other regularly because of the way that, you know, the breakaway happened. Now, there are bridges being built there but it's still not great and not ideal for what you want to see in terms of a competitive sport with a full field. We saw one of my favorite sports in the world is darts. This happened in the 90s. I mean, I wasn't born, but darts had a massive split between the two associations, between the BDO and the PDC. And for a long period of darts history, players on either side of the divide just didn't play each other. Now, that was led by the players themselves, the PDC split, because they felt that they weren't getting a fair share of the revenue from the tournaments that were going on. So it's slightly more individual and team-based. But the point stands that it was only when the two sides were kind of reconciled a decade later that the sport really started to find its feet and grow again. And I know that this has happened in a lot of American sports, and I'm less kind of up-to-date with the historical elements of what the NFL or the NBA ended up doing in these areas. But there was definitely schisms. And it was only when things returned to everyone being on the same page that people started to be like, okay, cool, we're, we're back. We're back in a place where we like to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know on the American sports either. I have to assume that there was some reunification somewhere. What's well, all the conferences are called different things, and you know, the merging it across the country is a big country, to be fair. Like, um, but merging them brings it all together and makes it what it is. Um, but aren't we even seeing like tiny little echoes of this here with MLS pulling out of the US Open Cup? That that that's another example here, very recent. It's a, it's obviously a much smaller scale. But MLS trying to sneak the next pro teams in to to play the US Open Cup and and to try and duck out of it and to disconnect the top level of the national sport with with the rest of it, which is not healthy. It's not good. It's a little bit different in that obviously America doesn't have a pyramid to the top as such. So that's slightly. This is the only connection that the pro scene has with the rest of the country. Like it's the Open Cup or nothing. And MLS have very recently tried to go, well, nothing. Yeah. We're on our own. We're, we're protecting ourselves. We're protecting our product. Unfortunately, no matter where you look in sport nowadays, there's machinations for this sort of thing. It's where people are trying to go. And it's undoubtedly linked to the amount of money that litters the sport, unfortunately. And again, I started the podcast by saying, we don't like talking about this stuff. or It makes us uncomfortable because it it reopens our eyes to the realities of the sport we love. But it's everywhere, man. And yeah. it keeps cropping up and it's never going away. No, this you just is have it. to keep shouting really, really loud when they try stuff. Yeah, this is it. And <laughs> you're good at that. I am good at shouting loud. So <laughs> this is going to be me yelling into the abyss. But, you know, it is one of those things that should be considered. There are reasonings behind this. And look, a lot of them are self interested and a lot of them are incredibly negative. But there is a clamor 
in many ways for change because things aren't being done correctly by the powers that be right now either. And that's something that I do think shouldn't be forgotten. Yes. And that is not me suggesting that this is the answer, just so we're all clear. But <laughs> there is an element here where we talk about the issues with the presidencies at both FIFA and UEFA, the fact that they've smashed through the barriers of what you're meant to be allowed as a tenure and are now looking to change those rules to yeah. keep themselves in positions of power. We're looking at lots of different things within this setup that are very uncomfortable. Apparently the voting process for World Cups and stuff now is not, oh, don't Doesn't worry exist. about it. Don't yeah. worry about the voting process. We'll just give you the, yeah, we'll give you that one. It's fine. So That's they're tapping tough. in, they're tapping into the, well, disillusionment, I suppose, with these two top tier competitions or, or top tier organizations in order to try and force something else through. But whilst you shouldn't lose sight of the fact that change is needed dearly at FIFA and UEFA, that change for the sake of it and to put it in the power of people who arguably have even more self-interest at heart is probably not the answer either. Yeah. Things are bad, but this doesn't fix much. If <laughs> Things are bad. Well. Let's not make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> Ideal. Well, absolutely. Uh, and with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. I wanted to do a quick one, just talking about all the machinations that are going on here and, and why people are thinking about them, why people are talking about them and, and give some opinions on what's good, what's bad, what's changes to be accepted and which ones are to be resisted at almost all costs. Uh, and with that, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to the rank god, Mr. Sam Time. Oh, thanks for having me back on such a cheery <laughs> afternoon. I thought you'd enjoy getting into, the, <laughs> getting into the, the muck on that one with me. I've been Jack Collins, Neighbor Parts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. And we'll see you very shortly, gang. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.